Okay, this morning we're uh, picking up the next in our series in The Real Deal as we uh, are exploring the book of James together. And uh, we're going to be looking at a passage from James chapter 2. And I'm going to read some verses from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And uh, then I'm just going to just take a couple of verses from the book of Hebrews. And uh, the title of this morning is all about pleasing God. So let's listen to what God's Word says. This is what it says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person, you see a pers- that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and verse 6. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? I don't know about you, but have you ever been going through the motions when someone says something to you that makes you sit up and pay attention. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was just about to go to sleep, uh, they put the bedroom light off, just about to go to sleep, and Annie says something to me. She says, she asks me about a matching bag for uh, a clutch bag for her wedding shoes that she'd bought for Joe's wedding. Our son Joe is getting married in August. And uh, I was half asleep. I wasn't really paying attention. Uh, The light had gone off. I was just starting to go to sleep. And I just said something. What came out of my mouth was this. I said, well, clutch bag, why don't you use the bag I bought you uh, on your 40th? That will go with the cream shoes. Then there was a silence. Then, then this is what happened. I cannot believe you just said that. <laughs> I cannot believe you just said that. You said you liked my shoes. 
I'm thinking, as you so, so, so I'm starting to come round. At this moment, I'm starting to come round. I'm thinking, oh my word, I am in deep trouble, and I'm not sure quite. I'm really not quite sure why I'm in trouble, but I'm in trouble. And uh, she said, "You said you liked them. They're not cream." So I, I'm like, uh, "Well, um, well, they, they're bluey grey. They're not bluey. Get the light goes on." The wardrobe door opens, and I have a shoe placed in front of me. It's silver. They're silver, and they were amazing shoes. It can be like that for us. Something happens, and suddenly we're forced to sit up and think. And I think that something like what happened with James's readers—they'd. Been hit, and suddenly he says, says something that, which is quite startling, and causes them to suddenly sit up and pay attention. This morning, God wants to catch our attention. God wants to speak to us this morning. We can easily become comfortable, and somehow the cutting edge of the gospel gets lost. We've heard it all before. Somehow the reality of what Jesus has done doesn't impact us in the way that it should. Our awe of God is genuine, but it no longer affects the way that we live. We say the right things, but do our lives show the fruit of the gospel? Does, do our lives show the radical marks of Christ. This is what Paul says. Can we say the same? I consider everything a loss. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Is that true for us? I was at commissioned prayer as churches we gather together to pray. Uh, a couple of times a year, and we were uh, away down in Bournemouth praying, and Guy Miller, the person you saw on the screen, he's very prophetic, he has a prophetic word, and he talks about he's in, been in Portugal, and this, as he's been in Portugal, he's seen something on the television that's caught his attention, and God starts to speak to him out of it, and he's seen this uh, uh, this news uh, uh, story of a volcano. It's a dormant volcano. And what has happened is the, the volcano has suddenly erupted. And uh, the lava starts to flow. And it's destroying roads. It's destroying houses. And uh, people are fleeing for their lives. No one loses their lives, but they're fleeing down the volcano. And what's happened is this, is that the volcano has been dormant for years and years and years. And people have become complacent. And what they've started to do is they've started to move their houses and properties up the side of the volcano because the soil is so good. 
and the ground is warm. And what they've done is they've moved up the volcano, and suddenly the volcano has erupted. And Guy felt God speak to him, and this is what he said. He prophesied that there were churches that were situated on fault lines. Fault lines are places of volcanic activity. And that people had become complacent, thinking was nothing was going to change. They had become complacent about the character and the greatness and the splendor and the magnificence and the power of God. They'd just become complacent. Nothing was going to change. But God was saying he was going to erupt. There was going to be an eruption of his glory. His glory was going to be poured out in certain places. And as Guy prophesied, he mentioned Winchester. He mentioned Winchester and he mentioned Kingsworthy. And later he prophesied over me, and this is what he said. There was a sense of urgency as he prophesied. The hairs on my arm went up. There are not many moments in life when these things happen. And he prophesied over me, he said this. He said, Steve, go back to Winchester and tell your people to move down the volcano because it's going to erupt. People have become complacent that things will stay the way they are, presuming nothing will change. You will see an outpouring of God's glory. There will be healings the like of which you have never seen before. There will be leadership development like un, like, unlike anything that has happened previously. This outpouring of God's glory will impact Kingsworthy and beyond. Guy then switched metaphors and said, the wave that is coming will change the landscape of Winchester. When he said that, that particularly caught my attention because back in 2012, God spoke to me and said, there's a wave coming that's going to transform the church. And in 2013, those of you who are around will remember there was a remarkable moment of change. God did some incredible things during that year. There was a wave that came that changed the landscape of the church. Guy was saying there's a wave coming that's going to change the landscape of Winchester. Another wave is going to crash over us. Are we living as though our lives, as though God were dormant? We believe He's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, transcendent, glorious, magnificent. Yet He doesn't seem to be doing much in our day. And we've settled. Do we believe God? Do we believe God could do amazing things one day, but just not today? If so, God wants to get our attention this morning. God wants faith to rise. You see, to appreciate what James is saying, we need to understand a few things. First of all, we need to understand by what James means when he uses the word faith. Faith, when he uses the word faith, he essentially means it's just a very simple, it's very simply trusting God. James is saying, do we trust God? It's more than believing in his existence, more than believing that God exists. James goes on to say even the demons believe that God exists and they shudder. So faith is more than just believing. It's unwavering hope and confidence in things that we can't see. If you can see it, it's not faith. 
It's trusting God. Things that God says that you, that you don't see, but you believe because God has said it. You see, faith is based on two things. It's, based, it's our living our lives based on two things. One, on the character of God, who God is, and also on what he says. Who he is and what he says. You see, the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is living and active. It's living and active. It speaks. It's relevant to our world today. People out there will tell you that this is not relevant. God's word is relevant. It's living and active, and it cuts right into the very issues of 21st century Winchester. It's God's word to us today. But more than that, God speaks now words. And so Guy's word was a now word to us. God's speaking to us as a church, and God wants us to listen. Faith is trusting God. James also wants us to know that faith pleases God. And when we read from Hebrews, those verses from Hebrews, he says, it, where the writer to Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please God without trusting him. Trusting him when everything looks like it's going south and you tr you're trusting God and say, God, you'll come through for me. That is faith. Only faith pleases God. Paul himself says that the only thing that is of value is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. He says that in, in Galatians chapter 5. And lastly, James wants us to know that we are saved by grace through faith. God does it. God saves us. But our trusting God to save us is part of the process. We don't do anything. He does it all. James's challenge to us in 21st century Winchester is this. Is our faith genuine? Is it the real deal? God wants to give our faith an MOT this morning. Here's the first test. God expects faith to be active. You see, believing can all too easily be static, passive. I believe God, but it doesn't really make any difference. So, when Annie was pregnant with Megan, our first child... So I believed she was pregnant, but it really didn't make much difference to me in those first nine months. I believed it, but it didn't make any difference to my life. I, I pretty much carried on doing what I was doing. But for Annie, she believed it, and everything changed. Everything changed. Her appetite changed. She, uh, she ate things. I'm like, she was eating raw broccoli and dairy lee spread together. I mean, I, it was like, what are you doing? She, uh, uh, she started nesting. She started preparing, getting clothes, preparing rooms, getting ready for the birth. I'm sort of watching on, sort of a bit bemused on occasions. I believe it's happening, but it's not changed my life. It's not changed anything. She prepared a bag. I'm thinking, what are you preparing a bag for now? What, what's the bag for? 
Well, for when I need to go into to hospital, I'm like, well, there's ages. Yeah, but you don't know what. Yeah, it's loads of time. That's, that's all I'm thinking. When, I, when the, everything changed for me at 2.35, a Saturday, a, a Sunday morning, I still think I'm preaching on the Sunday morning in Bishop's Waltham. That's how crazy I am. I'm thinking I'm still going to be able to preach. 2.35, the midwife phones me and says, Steve, and I'm like, oh, she says, get down here now. If you don't get here in the next 20 minutes or so, you're going to miss the birth. I'm like, I get to the hospital. Just before 3 o'clock, 8 minutes past 3, Megan's born. Eight minutes past three, I nearly missed. Everything changed. In that moment, everything changed. You see, Annie, there was real faith, faith that made a difference. For me, it was head knowledge. Didn't make a difference until Meg arrived. See, faith is active. It's believing God. It's living in the light of what God has said. It's not just having head knowledge. You see, James uses an, an example. He says there's a brother or sister. They're without clue, clothes. They're without food. They are destitute. He says they're destitute. And Jewish law expected, expected people to care for strangers, those that were in need. That was an expectation. But more than that, these are brothers. These are fellow believers. James is saying these fellow believers are destitute. And the person says... God bless you, I'll pray for you. James says, that is not faith. Faith is active. Faith does something. Faith is not saying, I'll pray for you when we can do something to help. Faith involves more than being just a well-wisher. Genuine faith does what it can. And so last week, we were talking about compassion and uh, helping children in need around the world. And I, I tell you, the need is massive. Around the world today, the need is massive. There are children in every country, pretty much in the third world, that are living in poverty. How can we make a difference? We could just take that and well, we'll just pray for them. Actually, we can do something. And last week, 12 people sponsored a child. They can do something. We're now sponsoring about 75 children in Rwanda. Is it, changing the, is it changing the shape of the world? No, but we're doing something. We can do something. Faith looks like something. Faith is active. Is our faith active or has it become stagnant? Let me give you a couple of examples. We, James has a lot to say about how we handle worldly wealth. He's already told us every good thing comes from God. Every good thing, the homes we live in, the clothes we wear, the food we eat. Our ability to earn wealth is a gift from God. The place we live in is God-given. God has allowed us to live in this place. The Bible is clear. God is our provider. James tells us what God expects. He says this in chapter 1. Religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and spotless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
James expects us to be a generous people, not people who talk about it, but people who do something, because faith is active. James talks about forgiveness. Last time John preached, he said, mercy triumphs over judgment. James expects us to be people who forgive, not just say they forgive, but genuinely forgive. His point is, James's point is this, we have received unmerited mercy and favor from God. God has been so kind to us, so merciful to us, hasn't treated us in the way that we deserve. He has shown us grace and kindness, and so we should do the same to others. We should reflect our Father and do that for others. We're to be those who freely forgive because He has forgiven us. Everyone, no exceptions. Faith means we forgive. Forgiveness is first and foremost a choice. It's not a feeling. It it involves a process. Yes, it takes time to work out, but faith is active. And faith looks like forgiveness. James also talks about mission. Jesus is on a mission, and he expects his people to be on a mission. James says that God saved us to be first fruits. That's what James says in chapter 1, verse 18. We are first fruits. If we have come to faith in Christ, we're the first fruits of something. That means there's more to come. There's more to come. Jesus has called his followers to be on a mission with him. He's given us a commission to reach men and women, boys and girls, with the good news about Jesus. He's called us to tell people about Jesus. He's called us to disciple people to follow Jesus. He's called us to be fishers of men. Jesus says that the fields are white for harvest. There are people out there every day that you meet who are ready to encounter Christ. They don't even know it, but God's been working on them. And God wants us to be faithful workmen in the harvest field, ready to talk about our faith, because we're on a mission. Do you believe it? Do you believe these truths? If you do, it will affect the way that you live, because faith is active. You see, We believe God is who he says he is. We believe his promises. Yet sometimes there's a disconnect. Sometimes, somehow, we've lost the connection that God's promises are for us to stand on today. So we settle for second best. And our faith becomes passive and static. We know the volcano can blow. We know that God is great and awesome. We know he could do anything. We know the damage that could happen if God's glory broke out. Lives would be ruined forever. Ruined forever. They'd be turned to God. They would be ruined for this world. How amazing would that be? If God broke out amongst us today. God is the same as he has always been. He never changes. His plans and purposes haven't changed. He sent Jesus to die for us that we might come to know him. He will not let his son's death be in vain. 
Did you hear me? God will not let his son's death be in vain. He will break out amongst us. He will move again in this nation. Will it be today? I don't know, but we need to be ready. We need to be down the volcano. We need to be ready for what God is going to do. It's all we can do. The psalmist encourages us with this. Your people will be ready in the day of your power. Will we be a people ready for what God wants to do amongst us? God expects faith to be active. God expects faith to be visible. So when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, the first thing that Jesus asks them to do is get baptized. Why does he do that? It's a visible declaration to everybody, to every power and principality that they belong to Jesus. That's what baptism is. Baptism, you may think, oh, it doesn't. does it really matter? Yes, it does. It's the first sign of faith. Jesus says, believe and be baptized. He wants us to be those who follow him. And so baptism is not an added on. It's not an extra. Let me encourage you, if you've not been baptized, you need to be baptized. There is something significant happens when you get baptized. You're saying, I belong to Jesus. I'm dead to my old way of life. I'm going to live for him. You're saying what we, that verse that Paul quotes, everything else is rubbish that's gone before. I'm going to live for him now. Baptism is important. It's a sign. It's a visible sign of our faith. You see, our actions speak louder than words. And similarly, James is saying that faith can be seen. This is what he says, I will show you my faith by what I do. William Booth started the Salvation Army. What an amazing work William Booth started in, back in the day, amongst the poor and the needy. This is what he said, faith and works should travel side by side, step answering to step, like the legs of men walking. First faith, then works. Then faith again, then works again, until they can scarcely distinguish which is one and which is the other. If we are exercising faith in God, people will see it. It will look like something. Faith looks like something. Jesus put it more succinctly. A tree is known by its fruit. James demolishes any argument that faith and works can be separate. You have your faith, I have works. James says, no, cannot be. Because faith expresses itself in something. The works of faith. Faith is more than an internal state. It's more than just believing in God. It's more than just believing that Jesus died for us. If Jesus died for us, something must change inside. A radical internal change. The Bible calls it being born again. Something so dramatic that people around will see the difference. The genuineness of our faith is seen in what we do and what we don't do. It's seen in the ways that we do things. Followers of Jesus actively stop doing certain things and start doing others. John Groves, a couple of weeks ago, talked about favoritism, that we were not to show favoritism. 
That is a work of faith because of what Christ has done for us, because God has no favorites, we have no favorites. That is why anybody is welcome on a Sunday morning amongst us. You can come as you are. But let me tell you this, if you come as you are, and you encounter Christ, you won't stay as you are because a radical thing happens inside when you put your faith in Christ. Nothing stays the same. Jesus changes everything, gives you a new heart and a new way to live. James says our trust in God should be seen in how we handle trials like persecution, bereavement, pressure, temptations. Temptations, what we do with our minds, what we do with our bodies. How we handle things, like riches and poverty. How we speak, how we treat others. Do our lives show that we trust God? John and Marion went to a funeral this week. A funeral of a really good friend of theirs. Someone they've known since they were teenagers. And the funeral, there were 300 people at the funeral. And John read out the... Uh, a tweet from Terry Virgo. Terry Virgo, who uh, 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 the leader of the New Frontiers family of churches uh, uh, many years ago. He's a great man of God. And he, this is what he tweeted. He said, attended a funeral yesterday. Massage, massive privilege. Hundreds present. Traffic needed directing. Famous person? Not really. The godly wife of a godly pastor, 50 years married, wow. Faith looks like something. James gives us an example. He reminds us of Abraham, who's called the father of all who believe. Abraham lives in Ur of the Chaldees. God calls him and he leaves Ur of the Chaldees and uh, he uh, lives in a tent, lives in tents. He He follows God. He does what God tells him to do. He even circumcises his family because God tells him to do it. He changes his name because God tells him that he's going to be the father of a nation. He's an old man and his wife is elderly. They can't have children. She's barren. God says, you're going to have a son. You're going to be the father of nations. Look at the stars in the sky. That's the proof that I'm going to do it. And Abraham believed God. And he changed his name, called himself Abraham, the father of many, the father of nations. And he doesn't have any children. That's what faith looks like. And yet, James doesn't tell us that story. James tells us a story of where God speaks to Abraham, the son is born, Isaac, this child of promise is born. And God says, I want you to go and sacrifice him on the mountain. Go and sacrifice the son of promise. Go and sacrifice him on that mountain. Abraham immediately responds, we're told in Genesis 22. He trusted God so much, he was convinced that God would raise Isaac from the dead. We are troubled by that story. I've heard many people say, I can't believe in a God that would ask someone to do that. God knew what he was going to do. He knew Isaac wasn't going to be sacrificed on the altar. God knew that he was going to provide a ram on the mountain instead and that Abraham wouldn't have to do it. He knew that. But Abraham was prepared to give up everything because he trusted God. He believed that God would raise his son from the dead if he had to go through with it. 
That is what faith looks like. Everything. For us, it's everything but not that. Everything but, don't touch that. That's too precious to me. Is not God worthy of our everything? You see, James says that Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did. Is James saying that Abraham was saved by his works? Is James at odds with Paul's teaching about justification by faith alone? We're saved not by our efforts, by what God does for us, by the grace of God. No, James is not at odds with that. He's using the word complete. It was made complete. Uh, Abraham's faith was made complete. He's using it in the sense of like a, a, an apple that ripens. You see, faith is a process. It's not just a decision. You see, faith is followed by the works of faith, and our faith is to ripen. You see, we are saved. That's what the Bible says. We're saved, but it also says we are being saved. And it also says one day we will finally be saved because salvation is a process. God has his hand on his life and is going to save us, taking us to be with him. Faith is a process. And faith, God wants our faith in him to complete and to ripen in terms of how we live and how we trust him. And we're not perfect at it, are we? Sometimes the fruit of faith in our lives is a bit green. It's a bit green, it's not ripe. God wants our faith to ripen, wants our faith to become complete. Faith should show that we trust God with everything and in every circumstance. When things go well, when things don't go well, in hardships, in trouble, in good times, in bad times, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. We love God with all our hearts as long as we live And it's seen in how we love those around us in the same way. Faith is seen. You see, we've been talking about a site in North Winchester. And I've been saying to you as a church, I've been saying, I've been giving you a justification. I've been saying, you know, we're growing and this is happening. And uh, and, I've given all sorts of rationale. I want to tell you, when Guy prophesied over me, it moved into a different place. I heard the voice of God speak, and I want to get down that mountain, and I want to go. Everything changed in that moment. It wasn't about, it wasn't about justification. It wasn't about, well, because of this or because of that. It's because God has said. Does it look, does it make any sense with our human eyes? Sometimes it makes no sense. But if God has said it, we trust him. And we want to follow him. Faith looks like something. Finally, God expects faith from us all. So I don't know about you, but when I was in school, we used to do sports. I I sort of particularly hated athletics, particularly hated running, and... um, I particularly hated field athletics and sort of, we used to do things like high jump. And when they used to do the high jump, the bar, I mean, sort of, you know, I'm not tall, okay, vertically challenged, okay. And the bar, I just just saw that the bar's too high. I'm never going to get over that. I could go under it, I can't go over it. (laughs) Sometimes we read about people like Abraham and we just conclude the faith bar is too high. I'll never get over it. 
Abraham was special. He was called God's friend. I'm not in that league. James wants to stop you in that thinking and say, it's for you. Because immediately after he talks about Abraham, this great hero of the faith, the father of our faith, he talks about Rahab, the prostitute. Rahab showed this kind of faith. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? In the same way, Rahab showed the same kind of faith. She lived in Jericho. It was a key Canaanite city. She had a certain notoriety. James pulls no punches. She was a prostitute. We know nothing of her history. But Rahab knew what it was to be used by men, to be abused. When Joshua sent two men to spy out Jericho, they stayed at Rahab's house. It was probably an inn. The king of Jericho hears about it. He wants Rahab to hand them over. Instead, she hid them, she lied, and she said they'd left the city. She did it without any promise of a reward. Why? The whole city had heard what God had done bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. They'd heard what they'd done to the kings of nations surrounding them, and they were terrified. They were terrified, and they shut up shop. Rahab was terrified, and it turned her towards God. She reached out for God. Everyone else was terrified they did nothing. But Rahab, Rahab's fear of God turned to seeking God, and she did something about it. She cried out for mercy. Rahab was different. Her fear caused her to acknowledge that he was the God of heaven and earth. She feared God, and the Bible says that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. She knew that God would give Jericho into his people's hands. She wanted to be on the right side, and she pleaded for mercy, and the spies promised that she would be saved if she didn't let on what they were doing. She asked for a sign. Here's the sign. All you have to do is hang a scarlet rope out of the window. She's a window in her house that hang over the city walls. You know what's going to happen. The walls are going to come down. She doesn't know that, but she's hanging a, a scarlet rope from the wall. That is all she's got to hold on. I mean, if it had been you or me, we'd go, really? I'd like a little bit more than that? A scarlet rope? Really? And that's going to save me? And they said, yeah, it'll save you and everyone who's in your house. She believed God. She believed God. And when the city fell, her house stood Other parts of the wall had fallen down. Her house stood and everyone in her house was saved. James wants us to know that none of us can use our past as an excuse before God. Whatever your past has been, God wants you to be a person of faith. All of us have a decision to make. We need to take a step of faith and trust God. We're saved by faith through the kindness and mercy of God. The scarlet rope speaks of Christ's blood over our lives. Really, is that going to save me? Is that going to save me? Yes, it will save you. God is faithful. That scarlet rope saved Rahab. The blood of Christ saves us.
We are rescued because of what Jesus did on the cross. We are rescued to live lives that please him. Rescued to do good works. Our faith can also result in others being saved. Just like Rahab, we gather people into our hostel. We say, come, this can save you. This rope will save you. The blood of Jesus will save you. Foolishness to many. Craziness to the world around us. But I want to tell you this. It is the power of God for salvation. Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. Rahab is even mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Is our faith active? Are we generous? Are we forgiving? Are we on a mission? Is our faith visible? Do people around it see our faith? It's for all of us. And the greatest proof of our faith is the fact that we keep the cross of Jesus central to our lives. Jesus must be our all in all. Tim Keller says this, If we say, I believe in Jesus, but it doesn't affect the way we live, the answer is not that we need to add hard work to our faith so much as that we haven't truly understood or believed in Jesus at all. Listen to that again. If we say, I believe in Jesus, but it doesn't affect the way we live, the answer is not that we need uh, to add hard work to our faith so much as that we haven't understood or believed in Jesus at all. When we believe in Jesus, we'll go anywhere for him, we'll do anything for him, because he is our everything. We follow him. He's on a mission, and we'll follow him. The band are going to come and join me on stage. We're going to break bread in a moment. We're going to remember Jesus. Be easy at this moment to talk about doing something. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to do the one thing that we can do to show our faith. We're going to remember Jesus Christ given for us. We're going to take the bread, and the bread is a symbol of Jesus' body broken for us. You may be here for the first time. You may never have given your life to Jesus Christ. You can do that in this moment. You can come and take this bread and say, Jesus, you died for me. Your body was broken for me that I might be forgiven, that I might know God as my Father. When we drink the, the wine, we drink it and we remember Jesus' blood shed for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. Jesus' blood has been shed once for all, for us, that we might be forgiven, that we might come into the family of God, that we might be the people of God. We're going to do that right now. If you're not a believer, you can just let this moment pass by because this is for those who, who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is a sign that we trust Him. So as the band worship and lead us, sing over us, I want you to come and take bread and wine, maybe on your own, maybe in groups. Remember Jesus. Come on, come and take bread and wine.